This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and Kate Andrews. The Bank of England has said that it will raise interest rates to 4.25% today. Kate, can you give us the details? Sure, Max. So um, nobody would have really wanted to be in the Monetary Policy Committee's shoes this week. They didn't have an easy option. Either raise rates, which they've decided to do marginally by that quarter point, as you say, uh, and be accused potentially of increasing financial instability in the wake of higher interest rates. We've now seen several banks collapse, regional banks in the States, Credit Suisse. Or you hold interest rates at 4%. I don't think anyone was talking about a cut, but you know, you, you hold rates at 4% and you're accused of not tackling price spirals because this week, uh, in addition to the interest rate hike, we've also seen the headline rate of inflation rise on the year from 10.1% to 10.4%. This is the first rise that we've seen since, since inflation peaked in October of last year. And it is that terrible reminder that it's going to be um, a very bumpy landing getting back down to something like a normal inflation rate, and nothing is guaranteed. We are seeing energy prices drop significantly, but inflation around food is at staggering levels, restaurants, domestic services, that's all going up. So the bank was in a tricky spot, and it decided to prioritize getting inflation under control, which I think on balance was the right decision. All of it's tricky, but it's interesting if you read the minutes from the MPC. They say that they got a briefing from the Financial Policy Committee ahead of their vote, and they were insisting that the banks in the UK are robust. They say that the banking system remains resilient. Um, Now, you know, we have to be cautious with all of this stuff, but clearly they thought that the main concern this time around was that um, rising inflation rate. So that's what they've prioritized. I personally think some of this has to do with the bank's reputation as well. We've spoken a bit about this on the podcast, but rightly or wrongly, the LDI crisis last year was chalked up to be completely the government's fault, and the bank kind of came to the rescue with that bailout package, much of which it didn't have to use, but the bank was seen as stepping in to stabilize the situation. Now, one could argue the bank should get a lot more criticism for everything behind that LDI crisis, abandoning its regulatory duties, not being aware of what was happening underneath the surface of the UK economy. But the real reputation problem the bank has is not so related to financial instability at the moment. It's related to inflation and the fact that they were so flippant towards inflation when it started. They were still saying it was transitory when it was double the bank's target and have had to play catch up ever since. So had they not hiked interest rates again with the headline inflation rate rising, I think they would have experienced even more criticism than what they're going to get for raising rates slightly and people saying, well, what about the banking sector? More generally, though, is there is their outlook on the economy sort of cautiously optimistic? It looks like they're expecting inflation to fall up to a lower rate than expected in February, and then, and they've also improved their outlook, their economic outlook on the UK economy more generally. Yeah, um, frustratingly, there aren't loads of stats in this um, in this report from the MPC, but they are really positive. They suggest that they no longer expect the UK to enter into a technical recession, albeit the language around that is a little bit vague. It sounds like they're not expecting it immediately. They're also expecting the rate of inflation by the end of the year to be lower than what they had anticipated in February last month. Now, in February, they anticipated it going under 4%, so we have to presume that 
they're now even more optimistic than that, which takes them closer to the office or budget responsibility and what they announced last week um, around the budget, which were really optimistic scenarios about inflation. And again, you know, pretty pitiful stuff when it comes to growth, but in the medium term, something something a bit more promising. So their outlook has definitely risen when it comes to GDP and when it comes to inflation, but we didn't get as much information as perhaps some of us would have liked today. Katie, Kistam has today promised to halve violence against women and girls within a decade as part of a mission against crime. He was speaking in Stoke-on-Trent. What did you make of what he had to say? So this is part of Kirstama's five missions that we've been promised, and I think what Labour want to do in the coming year is try to put the flesh on the bones of what a Labour government would look like in terms of where its focus would be. So it's not so much exact retail policies, which I think journalists would perhaps prefer, so much as where their values are and the type of things they'll be aiming to do. Obviously, Rishi Sunak has his five priorities, Keir Starmer has his five missions. There's a bit of one-upmanship on theirs, and I think Keir Starmer wants to show that a Labour government would be more ambitious. So today, in the crime speech, you had Keir Starmer promises to halve violence against women. No, no one would disagree with this mission. I mean, I think the first should say is we should go fair. There should be no crime against women. The question is, how are you going to achieve it? And again, with the missions, it feels more like Keir Starmer is setting himself targets than actually explaining how he is going to, in detail, achieve his target. So among some of the other things he said he wanted to do, as well as driving down violence against women, improving conviction rates, improving statistics for the proportion of crime solved by the police, halving knife crime incidents, and restoring public confidence in the police and criminal justice system to its highest ever level. Now, I think given Keir Starmer's previous role as chief prosecutor, it is an area where, although in the past, I think Labour can be seen to be weak on the issue he has the potential to bring some authority to it it's also an area where Labour think that um, there are you know it depends what statistics specifically you look at but there are ways to attack the Tories on it and this week for example the Tories were considering uh, announcing a set of anti-social behaviour policies but that was actually stalled instead we have had the Boris Johnson circus so it's an area where the Tories clearly know they, they are quite vulnerable I think Keir Starmer when it comes to uh, these various speeches today has had a fair showing it's being picked up in lots of places so it's probably a net plus for the Labour Party in the sense that people if you go into the news websites at the top it's Keir Starmer saying he wants to get serious on crime um, I think we need to go a bit more down the road to work out where it is because also another thing with Labour is they do not want to pledge too much new money because one of the big things they're trying to do is look fiscally responsible and therefore Rich Reeves has something called switch spends where if a shadow minister wants uh, money for one new thing they would ask where would you cut the money elsewhere in your own department and it means there's a big question as to what will the big retail offers when it comes to the next election be for Labour where are they going to spend big because they, they are purposely trying to avoid the Corbynite route of pledging lots of money here and there Stom also interestingly seems to have shifted Labour's position on trans rights. He had previously said that he was committed to updating the Gender Recognition Act so that transgender people could self-identify. Um, but he's now said, I think that if we reflect on what's, happen- what's happened in Scotland, the lesson I take from that is if you're going to make reforms, you have to carry the public with you. What do you think this says about how Keir Starmer's trying to position the Labour Party on cultural issues? 
I think Kidstar has been on a journey on this issue for some time, and I'm using inverted commas, in the sense there's lots of things Keir Starmer said. So when there was a big row of the S&P Gender Recognition Act, the Telegraph did a story saying, well, Labour's Keir Starmer backed this, but it was referring to something he had said a year before, not to a recent comment. And I think in the past year, you've seen Keir Starmer actually probably move more towards a, a biological definition of a woman than I think earlier on, partly when he was trying to win over the Labour grassroots, um, during the period where he was also taking the knee. It feels as though there is a there is a purposeful shift within Labour to move more, and obviously this is clumsy in some ways, move more to the right socially than I think he was at the very beginning of this. So I, I think this is particularly surprising. You can also look at how the policy backfired for Nicola Sturgeon to see the lesson from it, but I think it just marks a, a general move. And I think when it comes to, some people call them cultural issues, would Keir Starmer take the knee tomorrow in the way he did early on during his Labour leadership? I, I would be surprised. Piggyback on Katie's point there, I I just think that any politician, especially one that's leading a party and especially one that wants to be in power, is going to look at what happened in Scotland and see how the trans issue there so quickly brought down one of the most impressive politicians of a generation. And I don't think you have to agree with Nicola Sturgeon on her views on independence or policy to recognize that she is a politician to be reckoned with. And of course, in Scotland, I mean, that was a very clear cut issue in which a trans woman was being put into a female prison. And Nicola Sturgeon really, you know, got muddled in the way that she was trying to defend that. But still, I think it will probably um, have been a bit of a wake up call for Kia Stalmer that when it comes to the cultural issues, taking a slightly more moderate approach than he was doing before. And Katie, finally, Keir Starmer has said that he will scrap the tax benefits of his own pension. Katie, what's going on? So this is quite an interesting story that was on the front of the Telegraph, but it got buried, I think, in the sense it did get followed, but I don't think it's got received the same attention it would have done had we not had Boris Johnson before the Privileges Committee, perhaps the Stormont Lock vote. And Labour responded to the budget in which Jeremy Hunt abolished the lifetime allowance by um, saying that they would... Uh, oppose this as measure was something they could not support because it was ultimately a bung for the very rich it's people who have you know over a million pounds sitting in a pension pot and then they had to row back slightly and say oh we are doing that but just you know if you were a doctor as something where streeting shadow health secretary had previously called for then we will remove we will abolish it for you because we want you to get back into the nhs workforce but but not if it's for example a profession like a banker So it was already an attack line that I think had been a bit blunted. Then the Telegraph reports that Kirstan was granted a special tax unregistered pension scheme when he stood down as director of public prosecutions in 2013. Now, I think what's particularly interesting about this was because, because it was specific to him, the regulations were called Pensions Increase Pension Scheme for Keir Starmer QC Regulations 2013. <laughs> so it's very much a, a policy for Keir Starmer. You can't, pass the, you can't pass the buck on that can't one. can't really say, you know, oh, I didn't know it affected me um, when your name is in it. Now, Keir Starmer said it was a government pension scheme put in place for those in his role, um, which is why it needed an act of parliament to bring it into effect. Now, today, when he's been faced questions over it, uh, as you just mentioned, he said, well, he he would abolish it and bring in a law if he had to do it. So it, it's making it seem as though Chris Thomas almost an unwilling participant in this in this act of parliament, which allowed him to save money, save tax on his pension. I think he had no choice today but to say he would change it because otherwise you are accused of hypocrisy. 
I think that the fact they went on this pension attack and Keir Starmer and no one around him realised he had a vulnerability there is quite interesting because I think we are currently in the stage where I think there was a consensus last year that Labour would struggle to win the next election and definitely struggle to win a majority. And now it's swung to Labour uh, pretty much on course for a majority. The question is just what size of it. And it means, yes, Labour do get scrutiny, but you do wonder, near as an election campaign is, how they will cope with lots more of these attacks and pressure stories that they, that they will face. Because this just seems quite a obvious thing to do, uh, you know, due diligence on before announcing your attack line. Katie, Kate, thanks for joining and thank you all for listening.